Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. Welcome, everyone. Uh, My name is Ken. Uh, I am the Prescott Valley Campus Pastor. Thank you. Next week, that starts you all applauding because I'm gone, right? So (laughs) you don't have to see me again. Uh, Yes, we start next week at 9.30 and 11. So for those of you who are participating online, if you live out that way and want to come see us uh, and participate in person, Glassford Hill Middle School, tell your friends, your family, whoever lives out there. Uh, We want to get people to come hear the message of Jesus. And we are going to Prescott Valley not to have a church that is for a social club. We're not there just to gather around and and sing songs and leave and not have any impact. We're going to make disciples of Jesus. That's the objective. We don't want to just gather and, and... and be like, as the Bible talks about, a whitewashed tomb. Yeah, it looks great on the outside, but there's nothing different on the inside. We don't want that. We want to be one church in two locations so we can multiply disciples in that community. We're trying to do what Jesus called his first followers to do. And I want to share with you a passage. It's called the Great Commission. And this takes place. Jesus had his whole ministry, three, three and a half-ish years. He died, buried, resurrected, spent 40-ish days appearing to other people. He'd appeared about 500 people after he died. Could you imagine that? Like seeing him in the flesh, like I saw you beaten and bloodied, I saw you buried, and now you're in front of me. And he says to the 11 remaining apostles, right, one had died, and he tells them this. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." These guys listened, because if they didn't, we wouldn't be here today. They obviously did what Jesus said, and and I love the bookends of of, uh, what Jesus tells them. He has all authority, so that's comforting, that no matter what an authority might do or say to you because you're trying to make disciples, don't worry about it. Jesus has ultimate authority. And then that he's with us, that we don't have to do this alone. We can't do it alone. We'd screw it up. So we need Jesus to go with us to make disciples. Uh, that's what we're doing. Like, we didn't baptize Cadence and Addie just because they believe something, but because they want to follow someone. They want to be something. So if we're going to take this teaching seriously. We're going to take Jesus seriously. All of us who would call ourselves a follower of Jesus need to learn how to do this. 
And the reality is many of us, we're good at being a disciple ourselves. as far as we'll put Jesus' priorities first, uh, we, we will come second, we'll change our life, there's repentance of sin. But very few of us have ever been taught how to do this, how to make a disciple. Uh, that's just what our American Christian culture has done is where we invite people to a church service, which is a good thing to do, but we don't seem to know what to do beyond that. So I want to help that be different for you starting today. I want to give you some tools for those of you who follow Jesus. I want to give you some tools to help other people become followers of Jesus who make other followers of Jesus. And these tools I'm going to give you today answer three questions. These three questions are where, what, and why. Where am I as it relates to following Jesus? So as we go through this question, you might get some answer for yourself. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And I would say most important question of the three is why should I follow Jesus? And what we're doing, what I'm going to share with you today is just what I do with someone when I sit down and open the Bible and teach them what it means to follow Jesus. I cover this material. might not be one sitting. Uh, So this, I want you to listen to this message today with having in mind, you're going to sit down with someone and teach them what it means to follow Jesus. And we'll use all these components. These will be the tools. Uh, So if you're a note taker or a picture taker, there's going to be a lot for you today. This tool that we're going to look at, these passages are intended for a certain type of person. Uh, Just like with any tool, you don't use a saw to turn a screw. Okay, you don't use a hammer to cut wood. So you don't, if, if you need a different tool, if you're reaching a different type of person, you'll need a different type of tool. So this has a certain type of person in mind. And this first tool will, will show you the type of person I'm talking about. And so you ask the question, where am I as it relates to following Jesus? So if you have someone that you're trying to help become a follower, uh, you're one. That's the language you use around here. We all should have at least one person we're praying for, intentionally reaching out to, building a relationship with to help them either become a follower of Jesus or become a better follower of Jesus. So this is for the one to become a follower of Jesus. I try to give them context. So you sit down, whether you're at your house, a coffee shop, if you're at Pudge and Osties, if you're at Jersey Lilies, I don't care. You could do this with them there. You break out a napkin and you draw a number line. This is going to be our scale. So if we could measure our faith on a scale, we need some frame of reference. And so on the, this end of the scale, the negative side to the positive side, now keep this in mind, no matter where someone falls on the scale, it is not a measure of their value. It is just trying to help them identify a location as it relates to following Jesus. Where are they in that part of their journey? So for context, let's say minus five is Ozzy Osbourne. You got a singer in a death metal band, sex, drugs, rock and roll. I'm not interested in the things of Jesus. I'm interested in the things of me. And it might not be party life, but it's me life. And all the way at the other end of the spectrum, let's go with someone, uh, let's say Mother Teresa. Okay, someone who has devoted their life to the service of others because of Jesus. And zero is following Jesus. This is where we're trying to help people that are on this end get to here, and the people that are on this end keep on marching. Now, it's been my observation of 26 years of being a Christian. I'm almost 50. I'm 47. Uh, I, my interactions with people, whether they believe or not, tend to fall into this range, 
from negative two to two. This, so this tool that I'm going to give you today, and this is the first part of the tool, is helping someone identify themselves. Most people are likely to land in here. If they're coming down here, you might need a different tool. And if you're down here, you don't need the tool I'm showing. You already know what to do, and you can go have a donut, have coffee, I don't know, but you don't need to be in here. So let's frame the context. A minus two is someone, they believe in God. Okay, so this, this may not be the God of the Bible, right? but they believe that there is a creator. This didn't happen by accident. Something has happened to put us here. And then you move a little further down the line, closer to zero, and by the time you get to minus one, this person believes in Jesus. They at least believe that he existed, at the very least. Uh, and there's really no one that doesn't believe he existed, but believed at least what he taught. The person who would fit this profile from minus two to zero is probably has had at least church experience as a child. They may currently attend church regularly. They may even serve and participate in church. They believe the things of Jesus, but they haven't yet followed, made the decision to follow Jesus. Because there's a big difference. Right? We can have a belief, but not so much that it causes us to do anything different. So this is what we're looking at. This minus two to zero is where we're going to start. And to help someone get, like, figure out where they are on the scale, you have to ask questions. And you may know the answer to these questions before you even ask. Lawyers and cops and parents always ask questions they already know the answer to. So just <laughs> be, a, be a good disciple maker. You should know the answer, and I'll get to why in a minute. So here, what are the questions? Well, here they are. Do you believe in God? Let's just start there. You got to know what you're working with. You're going to meet someone where they're at. Do you believe that Jesus is God's son? Do you believe you should follow Jesus to the best of your ability? And do you believe the Bible is trustworthy? Right? And an answer, a yes to one of these, doesn't mean it's a yes to the others. Most of you would probably answer yes to these questions. And these questions are not going to be, when you're doing this with someone, because this is not evangelism at Fry's or Safeway, bump, someone you bump into on the street. You're sitting down with someone you have a relationship with. And the reason you probably would know all the quest, answers to these questions is because you've had many conversations. Or this is your friend. You go have lunch together, right? You work out together. You, you're in a carpool together with the kids, whatever you do. And, and you've had spiritual conversations. So you already have an idea Remember, that number line is not for you to determine where they're at. It's to help them, your friend, determine where they are at as it relates to following Jesus. Most people would answer yes to these. Uh, now, if you're someone who would answer no to most of these, first off, I want to thank you for coming. Uh, you have, you know, for whatever reason you came. I want you to know I was someone who said no to the, these three. When it came time for me to sit down and kind of learn and start exploring the things of God, I believed that something got this whole thing going. I don't know what it was, who it was, it, whatever. But I started with just one yes and three no's. And here I am 26 years later following Jesus. So if you don't want that to happen to you, leave now. <laughs> I just say, hear me out today with an open mind. Thank you. Now, a yes to these questions fits the profile, if you will, of the first five followers of Jesus, or five listeners. And we know about these guys from a guy named John, who was one of Jesus' early followers. He wrote several books of the Bible. He wrote a gospel, the story of Jesus' ministry. He gave us the book of Revelation, and he has three letters. Uh, and he tells us about Andrew, who was one of the early followers, 
Uh, another guy, he never mentioned his name, but just Andrew and another disciple. Andrew's brother, Peter. If you've been around church world for a while, you know the name Peter. Uh, there's a guy, Philip, and a guy, Nathaniel. And so what we're going to look at, we're not going to read all of what he tells us in John chapter 1, but you could take a note. How would those first followers of Jesus, first, I'll call them listeners, because they weren't followers yet. How would they answer these questions? Now, they're not here to ask the question of, but we can see based on what they say and what they do, how they would respond to these questions. So this is setting the profile to help someone determine where they are on this in the, as it relates to following Jesus. Do you believe in God? The next day, John, this is a guy named John the Baptist, who's different than the, guy, the John that recorded this. There's Johns all over the New Testament. John was there with two of his disciples. One was Andrew. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. So he says this to at least two, two of his disciples, have John the Baptist's disciples, his learners, his students, react to this statement. But the fact that they are disciples of John the Baptist tells us that they take belief in God seriously, that this matters to them, that their belief will impact their life to a degree that they're willing to sit and learn from someone who's further down the road than they are. And the fact that he points out that Jesus is the Lamb of God tells you they're having conversations around Jesus, around the Lamb, around prophecy. And then what they do next answers this question, because here's their response. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Now, it's important to make the distinction here. This is not zero on the number line. Okay, this is not the decision to be a follower of Jesus. This is to hear what Jesus had to say. This is, I'm going to go listen, and I'm going to go learn. And, and they do this for some time. It's months later, after John the Baptist is put in prison, months later, that they decide, I'm going to follow Jesus. So this is following Jesus around. So they would, so they would do this. And then the next one, do you believe Jesus is God's son? This is Nathaniel talking to Jesus, says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And he says this in the presence of Philip and Peter and Andrew. And they might agree. They, might, they obviously think something special. I mean, John did say that he's the lamb of God. And then finally, do you believe the Bible is trustworthy? And this is, this is Philip telling Nathaniel. He says, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. You'd have to just keep reading. His response is pretty funny to that, but that's for another time. Now, these guys fit the profile. You see how they answer the questions. That puts them squarely in our minus two to some, not quite zero, because they have not yet been called to follow Jesus. You know, Jesus says, come follow me, like come and see where I'm at. He's not calling them yet to a commitment. He's like, come and listen and learn. Like if someone invited you to church today, just come and listen. Just hear, let's hear about this. So we're trying to reach your friend, probably falls in this, right here in this category, and using this tool will help those of you in this range, range to help them. Now, if you're down here, you don't need my tool. So this is where they're at. And the way it reads, these guys were friends. Peter, or Andrew and Peter are brothers. Andrew gets his brother. Philip finds his friend, Nathaniel. So there's relationships going, and this should be all done in the context of a relationship. Where am I as it relates to following Jesus? Different than belief in Jesus. Help your friend plot themselves 
on the number line. You should plot you. And maybe you tell a little bit of your story. Well, I remember when I was here. And over time, I got to hear, because we don't know it all. We just share our story and point them to Jesus. Our next question is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? This question should be answered by guess who? Jesus. Jesus to tell us what it means to follow him. Not our church experience. Not our contemporary American expression of the faith. We are very good at helping people believe. We are not very good at helping people follow. We have our, our definition of, of what it means to be a Christian is, is way lower than what we'll see that Jesus expects from us. And when you get to this point, we're going to be in Luke chapter 14. This is where we're going to spend most of the time. And as you walk through these scriptures with your friend, you're going to have to ask a lot of questions. Okay, you're, going to help, you're going to ask your friend questions. Now think about this. When you ask, someone asks you a question, what happens to you? Apparently nothing. So <laughs> what happens when someone asks you a question? What starts happening up here? You have to think, right? Hopefully you think before you speak. So you have to think. So you ask your friend, you show them passage, you read a section of scripture, and you start asking questions to get them to think. And you want them to think about the conclusion, which is then more likely to become a conviction if they have reached it themselves, as opposed to you just saying, no, this is what it means. And even though you might know the right answer, but when you just give it to somebody, you're not helping them think through. We want people to think through what it means to follow Jesus. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells us, large crowds are traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I think Jesus was really good at taking a large crowd and making it a small crowd. Because you read this and you hear this and it's a bit off-putting. Wait, I thought you said to love my enemies and pray for those who persecute. So now I'm supposed to hate my parents? There's some days, okay. Wife and children, oh, so brother says that's easy. I can hate them. My wife and children, he, Jesus is exaggerating to make a point here that he has to come first. He is before all these relationships, no matter how important your parents are. You want to follow Jesus and your parents tell you no? Love you, mom. Love you, dad. I'm going to follow Jesus. Your spouse doesn't want you to, or your kids don't want you to. You and here's the thing. Look at these relationships. They're all pretty personal, but every one of these relationships will do you wrong. Even you will do you wrong. You have done yourself dirty before. You make decisions that you know are bad for you. Jesus will never do you wrong. Jesus loves you more than your children love you, than your spouse, your parents. It's not possible for him to be outloved by anyone. It is impossible. And all these intimate relationships will benefit when you put Jesus before them. You will benefit. Your spouse will benefit. Your kids will benefit. They will benefit. So we put Jesus first. Is what, this is the translation. He comes first before everyone. But what about this? Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Who were the people in Jesus' day and age who carried a cross? Criminals. I heard another one. 
the condemned, right? The criminal, the person who was going to die on that cross. So these are the questions that I ask my friend. When I'm sitting here talking through, this is what I do. And so I'm asking you. So when these people who know that a, you're supposed to die, that a criminal is going to carry it, a condemned person, what do they think this means for them? Carry their cross. That they're going to have to die for their faith. And many people did and still do to this day. They are executed or cut off from their families because they follow Jesus. That doesn't happen here so much. But also in Luke 9, Jesus says you have to die to your, die daily. Carry your cross daily. But how many times are you going to die? Just once. So the point is, not only do you have to be willing to give up your life for the faith, you have to be willing to die to yourself for every day. That the priorities of Jesus will come before your priorities. So he's got all these people traveling around. The big crowd is gathered and everybody's fired up about the miracles and the feeding of thousands and people getting healed and everyone wants to be part of the party. He says, all right, now, here's how you get in. And he takes this big crowd and I can guarantee you, because he does this several times, the crowd shrink. Because we often want the benefits of following Jesus around without the expectation of following him. And you've been done wrong because most of us have been and grown up in the faith and have been basically told that. Just follow him around. Right? Just believe the right stuff. So he says, look, you've got to make this decision. I come first and you better be ready to die, but don't make the decision in haste. Here's what he says next. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build but wasn't able to finish. So what does Jesus want us to consider in this passage? The cost. What's it going to cost me to follow Jesus? And we typically are never told that there's a cost. We're typically told, just believe, say a prayer. We are all familiar with counting the cost. And when we're counting the cost of something, we have to determine is the thing I'm going to get more valuable to me than the thing I've got to give up? Okay, I'm going to give up my money to get this car. What do I want more? The car or the cash? Or big, that's some smaller decision. What about big decisions like getting married? Okay, if I'm going to ask her to marry me, this means there is no more variety in my relationships, if you catch my drift, that I will have one to have and to hold for the rest of our lives. Is that more valuable to me than a weekend in Vegas? If the answer is no, then you don't ask the question. And then if when he asks you the question, you think through this, if the answer for you is no, then don't say yes. But the answer is yes, go all in. Yes, you are more valuable to me. It is worth giving up this thing over here. What about having kids? You gotta count the cost having kids, right? I mean, no one wants to count the cost of making a baby. We just want to count the cost of having a baby. I'm going to give up sleep. I'm going to give up autonomy. Ladies, you're going to give up your body, flexibility, money. Whose idea was it to have children? (laughs) We had five. My goodness. But by expecting to count the cost, by Jesus telling us you have to count the cost, What type of decision is he preventing us from making? An ill-informed decision? An emotional decision? 
I don't think it would ever be a bad decision to follow Jesus, but if we make a major decision, we don't count the cost, we might make a bad decision. Certainly an emotional one. And emotion will always be involved in deciding whether or not you're going to be a follower of Jesus, but it can't be in the driver's seat. Because when emotion wears out, what happens to the conviction? It's just gone. And then three weeks later, and you've either been this person before or you know people have done it, you go back to your old life three weeks later and then people began to ridicule because, oh yeah, he made a commitment but wasn't able to finish. You get ridiculed, the faith gets ridiculed, Jesus gets ridiculed. So Jesus wants us to count the cost. What do you have to give up in order to follow Jesus? It will cost you something. But no matter, just know this, no matter how much you give up, that's not how you get salvation. But it does cost you to follow. And then he says this, yeah, you better count the cost, but don't take forever because a king is coming. Suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Be smart. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, in the same way that this king asks for terms of peace, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. King with 20,000, a king with 10,000. Who's going to win? The king with, it's not the guy that rules the airspace. That's modern warfare, right? This is the, the hand-to-hand combat. The king with 20,000. So we got King Kenny and King Jesus. If Kenny's smart, he's not going to wait for a deathbed profession of faith, right? Or I get the terminal diagnosis, or I've sowed my oats long enough. I've had all the fun I want to have. Now I'll surrender. Now I'll follow Jesus. He's like, no, 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 no. While he's still a long way off, you will ask the question, what does it take to make peace with you? Now, which king is going to set the terms of peace? The king with 10,000? King Kenny or King Jesus? It's King Jesus all day long. And it's not a negotiation. Right? We negotiate a ceasefire or we negotiate a peace treaty. We do not negotiate surrender. It is giving up everything. Think of Japan, World War II. We drop an atomic bomb on the 6th of August. We drop another one on the 9th. And the white flag, just stop. Whatever we need to do, we will do. Just unconditional, complete surrender. That's what Jesus tells us it is to follow him. And most of us, our culture, including our Americanized church, we treat following Jesus and teach following Jesus as like having dinner at Golden Corral. Like, oh, I can have forgiveness of my sins? That nice juicy ribeye? I'm going to take two. Give me some of that. Oh, but you, need, you mean I need to forgive him for what he did to me? You know, you keep the beats. I don't want any of that. Nope. And oh, my marriage can be reconciled and healed. I absolutely want that big piece of tiramisu. But carrots? No, I don't do carrots. I don't serve people. Nope. Sunday's my day. Yeah, so is Monday. And t- yep, Tuesday. Yep, Wednesday. Busy on Thursday too, right? Like, no, I don't. We do this. We have this negotiating. I want what I want, and you can keep what I don't want, Jesus. Jesus is like, no, no. It's everything. 
Now, the reality is you don't know what everything is when you say yes to it. But when you find out, when you bump into it, like, oh, this has got to go if I'm going to follow Jesus. If you've surrendered everything, then you will. You'll give that thing up. So at this point, if I'm with my friend and we're at, I don't know, uh, the porch, we're whatever, we're having coffee or a beer or whatever we're doing. And I say, I try to make this, this passage personal for their benefit. And so I tell them, like, look, it's been my observation, my experience that there are three areas that people have a difficult time surrendering to Jesus. And this is usually a guy. I've only had this conversation with like two women. I do this with men. Ladies, you might ask different questions or might have different observations. But the three areas that I find it's very difficult for people to surrender to Jesus are how I spend my time, how I spend my money or how I manage my money, and my sexual conduct. That's my observation. That it's one of these three, all three or a couple of them. It could be something else, but it's my observation that it's at least one of these three. And then guess what I do next? I ask a question. And that question is for you. Which one will be the hardest to give up? And I don't leave it there. I want to probe for their benefit, and I'll explain. The next question is, in what way? Is it a girlfriend and a wife? Is it pornography? What is it? Do you have debt that your husband doesn't know anything about? Right? What, what is it? What, what's the thing that's going to be hard for you? And I don't ask these to get salacious bits of gossip. It's not for the purpose of being nosy and getting information so I can leverage it later and have control. It's to help someone understand what they're going to have to give up in order to follow Jesus. What's going to be the hard thing? to give up. It gives them a chance to get open. If, you, if we don't take the time to ask someone the hard questions, because they already know, they're thinking about this. So to help them bring it into the light where there's refreshing, like, yes, I've got a credit card or I've got a, a side chick or I've got, it's got to come out. And you can't follow Jesus and have a wife and a girlfriend at the same time. Just can't happen. Right? So we have to deal with that. And so guess what that is incumbent on me to do, on you to do when you sit with your friend? So you got to tell them what's hard for you. So for me, it was the first one and the third one. I never had a relationship where I was faithful until I met my wife. And 21 years later almost, still going, still faithful. So now the struggle really is how I spend my time. I want my time to be my time. But my conduct, my money, my time are not on my terms. King Jesus sets the terms. Now they're on Jesus' terms. You do your friend a favor by helping them think through this. You have to think through this for you. Maybe there's something you haven't yielded that you need to yield to Jesus. And then Jesus ends his call to discipleship with something that seems out of place. It's at the end of Luke, and he says this. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor the fertilizer. It is thrown away. Anyone who is willing to hear should listen and understand. And for years, I'm like, Jesus, I am willing. I hear you. I am listening, but I do not understand what you are talking about. What does salt have to do with following you and giving things up and and counting the cost? He has a very similar teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, which is a rather famous sermon. It's in Matthew uh, chapter 5. Jesus says, you, talking to followers of Jesus, you are the salt of the earth. 
I'm like, okay, so this is personal now. I am the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how could it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And so what I'm, I'm like, okay, Jesus teaches this thing about salt at least twice. It's recorded twice. He could have taught it more frequently, but I better uh, learn. I better figure this out. What's he talking about? It's that important that he repeats it. The point is to persevere, right? That this commitment to follow Jesus is forever. It's not a fly, you know, simply fly by night. Yeah, I'll do this until something better comes along. No, it's we have to persevere. It's like a marriage, right? It's a commitment forever. You don't know everything that you're facing when you get married, but you say till death do us part. And there are reasons many of us have, have broken that commitment. All right, I said till death do us part, but I'm not. Here's what you gotta know. Jesus will never do you wrong. You make that commitment to Jesus. Jesus will never give you a reason to quit. Your spouse might've given you good reason to quit, but Jesus will never do that to you. So you persevere, you make this commitment to follow and we stick it out. So that's the what, what does it mean to follow Jesus? All the what associated with being a disciple. When I say follow Jesus, be a disciple, it's all the synonymous. Jesus comes first. You got to carry your cross, count the cost, surrender everything and don't quit or you're worthless. I'm like, great. Thanks, Jesus. Sounds wonderful. Like, I re- this is not very inviting. It is challenging. So we have to answer the question of why, because this doesn't sound too good. And if all we had was this life, then I'm, I'm not doing this. I'm not following Jesus. But there's more to this life. And you could always start with the why when you sit with your friend. But I like to end with the why because people tend to remember the last thing you said. And so I like to end with the why. Why should I follow Jesus? And there are many reasons. I'm going to give you three that Jesus gave us. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We shouldn't need another reason, but that's it. Jesus is the only way to a reconciled relationship with God. There is no other way. And Jesus spent his entire ministry telling people, dad wants you to come home. Yeah, he knows what you've done. He knows how you've lived your life. Yeah, he knows about that thing too. And that one. Yeah, and that one. And he wants you to come. But you have to come with me because you're not getting in the door unless you come with me. So let's go home and let's go see dad together. He can't wait to see you. That's Jesus's ministry in a paragraph. We will never think our way, good behave our way, philosophize our way to a right relationship with our maker. Jesus is the only way. And he gives us more than an entryway to heaven. He tells us this. This is Matthew 11. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, to be quite honest, I read this and I compare it to everything Jesus told us in Luke 14. I'm like, okay, when, when were you lying? Okay, here or there? 
because these things don't seem like they can go together. But what I've learned in 26 years of following Jesus, yeah, it is way better to follow Jesus. The burden, it is hard to die to yourself. That's a heavy thing to pick up and carry. But it's a lot easier to carry it. It's lighter. It's heavy to pick up. It's easy to carry. And you compare that to being weary or bitter or burdened. Are you burdened by something that someone did to you? Are you burdened by something you've done? Or maybe someone you love has done something and it burdens you and you're harboring bitterness. It's easy to be bitter. It's a heavy load to carry. And so with Jesus, like we take what he's called us to. His yoke is a teaching. His expectation, his teaching, it's hard to execute. It's hard to take that first step because who wants to die to themselves? But once you've taken it, it's so much easier to carry than carrying around unforgiveness and bitterness and a grudge. That will weigh you down. And his yoke is easy because, remember, think of an ox yoke. There's two of you. One is for you and one is for Jesus. And he's helping you carry it. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And finally, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The thief. We have an enemy. And I know it's not all popular in our culture, but there is a Satan. We are in a spiritual war. Whether we want to participate in it or not, we're going to get caught in the crossfire. There is something happening beyond what we can see and grasp and touch. And Satan will give us a life that looks good. It's shiny. She's pretty. The job pays a lot of money, right? The, the, night, the weekend in Vegas will be a memory forever, and you'll carry around that disease forever, right? There's, it all looks good, but there are hooks in that lure. And Jesus calls us to die to ourselves, which doesn't sound so great, but the life he gives us is full. Because when we put his priorities first, everything else will get its proper place. So when you sit down with your friend and you just invite them into, hey, you're calling them to die to themselves. You're inviting them into following the, the creator of the universe to the one who knows you the best, to the one who knows what is best for you even better than you do. So when you sit to make disciples of someone here, Prescott Valley, Williamsburg, wherever you live, you're inviting someone into a life-giving, full relationship with Jesus, not a religious system, not a best life now, not a just believe and all will be good. No, we're inviting someone to follow the King. This week, every day, every week, I don't know, do what you need to do to make more and better disciples of Jesus. Let's thank the King. God, thank you so much that we get to follow you, uh, that we have been invited into a relationship with you, that as with all relationships, it will have challenges, but you are always faithful. You will never drag us through the mud to hurt us, to harm us. You always look out for our best. You, you coach us up and, and, and strengthen us to be the best version of us that you've made us to be. And I pray that we would be humble enough to lay down our life to put aside any preconceived notions we have about following you, to set aside an American gospel and take the gospel of Jesus, that we would die to ourselves and that we would love you and love people and bring them into a relationship with you that is rich and full and life-giving. 
Help us just give people what you want to give, and that's a rich, full life. Thank you for your son, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. I've known Kenny for a decade now, something like that. And I can tell you that I have never seen anyone who is more passionate about doing what he just told us and more effective about helping people take those next steps. And so I'm so grateful that he's willing to share that with us, and I hope it inspires us to actually put this into practice. Um, Before we leave today, obviously, again, we talked about this being our kind of our last hurrah together before we launch out into Prescott Valley. And I was thinking about this passage. It comes from Acts chapter 13, where in the middle of a worship service, the Holy Spirit shows up, and here's what it says. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them, so that they may, I'm sorry, so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Holy Spirit said, it's time to move. It's time. We're taking kingdom ground, and I need this one, and I need this one. It's time to go. And the rest of the church rallied around and laid hands to send them off. And that's the way I want us to do today. We're sending off a crew from here to go launch into Prescott Valley. And so if you're a part of that crew today, if you're one of those who've been a part of those soft launches, and you're going to make Prescott Valley your home church then would you just stand up right where you are right now? Go ahead and stand up. Yeah. Stay standing for just a moment. The Holy Spirit told our elders it's time to go. And he, the Holy Spirit may not have shown up in a worship service like this and said it's time to go, but many of you have said the Holy Spirit told me I got to go. And this is what he's calling me to. And so I want to... I want us as a church to do what they did in Acts 13. So if you're surrounding one of these people and you know them, or if it's too weird, you can just kind of lay your hand. But lay a hand on a shoulder or maybe just reach out a hand. Let's lay hands. Let's do what Scripture teaches us to do. Lay a hand and let's pray as we send these people off to do what God's called us to do to take kingdom ground. Father, today we launch out with a group of people that we love, that we've worshiped with, that we've served with, and you're calling them to step out and to take ground for the kingdom in a new way. And they have counted the cost. It is going to cost them something. It's going to be long and tiring. They're going to set up and tear down and get sweaty. It's going to, they're doing hard work, but they've counted the cost. And it's worth it. Because we want to see the kingdom advance. And so we pray We pray that you would use them in mighty ways, not just to get people into a building, but to make disciples. Pray for Kenny as he leads out, casting vision, showing the way, uh, empowering people to use the gifts that you've given them. God, you've promised that there is a gift that each of us has that's been given to us for, for work in the body. And so I pray that you would help them to do that. Well, we're grateful we get a chance to join you in something that's going to outlift all of us. And we ask that you would cast your favor upon us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.